1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter, and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. The news in the world of travel and tourism is ramping up, and at the same time, the messaging can be conflicting and confusing. But one thing is clear. We're now starting to travel, and in greater numbers. The TSA reports screening more people in one weekend than ever before in the last 14 months. Airplanes are filling up, and yes, that empty middle seat is no longer protected. And one of the questions you might have, and you certainly have it, is, are the airlines going back to some bad habits? Are we about to return to the home of the brave, and the land of the fee? I'll chat about that with Zach Graff from the Points Guy. Then regardless of that new small parade of fees, it's not stopping people from planning or paying for their trips. Matthew Upchurch, the chairman and CEO of Virtuoso, tells me how travelers are rolling the dice, and perhaps just as important, where they're rolling the dice. And then, the story of the troubled 737 MAX continues. David Shepardson from Reuters talks with me about the latest problems surrounding the plane and what the FAA is or is not doing about it. First up, we'll go to Zach Graff. As countries start opening, uh, new routes are starting to be planned. The CDC li- essentially revising their conditional sail order to allow cruise ships to sail from and to U.S. ports. And the question that arises immediately, at least for folks like me, when it comes to the airlines, and, and we can talk about all the new routes in a second because there are tons of them, is are the airlines going back to old bad habits? Are we reverting to a time pre-pandemic when we're when we were living in the home of the brave and the land of the fee? Joining me now, the senior reporter for the Point Sky, and uh, someone we love having on the show, Zach Graff. How are you, sir? Hey,
2: Peter. How's it going today?
0: Well, okay, but I have to charge you for that now. It's a new fee. <laughs> ah,
2: well, that, that sounds about right. I hope you didn't have to change your flight on the way where, wherever you're at at the moment, because uh, you may be stuck with fees once again.
0: And, you know, I go back to the United Airlines announcement, which was considered a game changer at the time last year, in which they said, guess what? We And, and this is their word. We are permanently canceling Ticket change fees. That's what I saw. That's what I reported. That's what they released. Are you telling me that ain't necessarily so?
1: Well,
2: you know, as always in the airline industry here in the U.S. and and generally worldwide, uh, there are lots of fine print asterisks, just things to note when you are uh, announcing something like that. So, yeah, United uh, made splashy headlines back late last year when they made that announcement, and all the major competitors followed. The Delta, American, and all the smaller ones. Southwest obviously has never charged a change fee, but. We're talking Alaska. This is something that airlines were working towards well before the pandemic, is that basic economy typically don't include things like checked bags or carry-on back seat assignments and stuff like that, um, those fares actually never have allowed change fee, uh, changes. Uh, they can't change them against a fee. And uh, throughout the pandemic, the airlines had this limited time offer where you could you know, make changes to them as much as you want. But now they're seeing that people are traveling again. Uh, the summer of travel is here, uh, certainly domestically, and the airlines are rolling back that flexibility.
0: So what you're saying is, at least with the basic economy fare, it's use it or lose it.
2: Exactly. So so it's so it's a use it or lose it thing where, you know, you purchase a ticket, whether it's a 100 bucks or 80 bucks. And, you know, if you're if you're not going to use it, you're going to lose it at this point throughout the pandemic. So so this is basically from last April until just just April 30th, just just a few days ago. Uh, you could purchase a basic economy ticket and then make uh, unlimited changes to it with all the major airlines under these flexible travel orders. So you have United and you have American and Delta, and they've wiped away the change base for good, or so they said. but they've only done that for the tickets that cost a little bit more than basic economy. So the idea is, hey, you know, if I want to basically buy myself COVID insurance in case that I get sick or I can't take my trip or something like that, you're going to have to buy up to a higher fare now, as opposed to just purchasing the cheapest basic economy one, which is, and has returned to becoming, use it or lose it.
0: Wow. And this comes at a time, by the way, where the airlines are announcing, I've almost lost count, over 150 new routes.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, airlines at this point, they are uh, kind of just matching where demand is, right? So you know, people who want to go to Orlando, and they want to go to outdoor destinations up in national parks in Montana, Wyoming, and, you know, airlines are are doubling down on on, on routes to all these different places. Uh, And so yeah, you're gonna have to really be careful when you're flying and booking travel for the summer and and going forward to try to avoid some of those, you know, pesky fees that are popping back up again. And I mean, there are airlines now, Take a look at Avello, a brand-new airline that launched just last week. I was on the inaugural flight, and uh, one of their big value propositions is that they never charge a change fee uh, to change your flight. And this doesn't matter whether you're purchasing their cheapest $19 fare or a more expensive $40 fare. Uh, and so yeah, I think we're okay. going to see you know, airlines really start differentiating themselves on, on, on change fees and, and certainly in their route now.
0: And, you know, I did the math the other day. I, I priced out a ticket uh, between uh, uh, New York and Tampa, Florida. Not, a reason, not an unreasonably uh, high-priced ticket. Uh, and I looked at the basic economy, and then I looked at what the choices were, and then I looked at the main cabin, and, and then I looked at flights that went beyond that. Well, by the time you add up the, the price differential – for the you know the upgrade to the main cabin as opposed to basic economy and you're looking at different legs your ticket just went up by 120 dollars
2: oh absolutely and i mean this is, this is obviously something that was at play before the pandemic but but it's going to be something that in my opinion we're going to see a lot more of where airlines are going to make that differential even more between basic economy to the main cabin because in main cabin they're no longer charging those change fees. So it used to cost you, you know, $200 or more to make a change when you decide that, hey, you know, my business meeting ended earlier, you know, my trip is going to be cut short, I have to change my flight. Well, they're going to have to compensate because the airline made billions of dollars on these fees until they wiped them away come, you know, late last year. So so as you see, you know, in your example, in, in tons that I'm comparing over at the Points Guy, We're seeing basic economy differential to, you know, kind of the full fare main cabin exceeding hundreds of dollars at this point.
0: Now, let's talk about the routes themselves, because the airlines are clearly flooding the zone uh, on so many like secondary and tertiary cities in America that seem to share one thing in common. They're all outdoor areas. They're all near national parks. So it's um, I get why they're doing it, because that's what people are looking for. But they're really flooding the zone. Suddenly, and I've been joking about this for a couple of weeks now, suddenly everybody and their mother, meaning in the airline business, is uh, announcing service to Bozeman, Montana. I mean, this is an airport that maybe had 20 flights a day at most ever. And now you have like eight airlines announcing not just one flight a day, but like everybody's coming to Bozeman. And my guess, and and my and my question before before you answer is, is with that kind of capacity being added to one small market, are the airlines really going to be filling all those seats?
2: Uh, you know, it's it's so funny you bring up Bozeman. I actually just returned. I was I was over there about two and a half weeks ago at this point, just for some late spring uh, last weekend skiing uh, up in Big Sky. And you know, I kind of wanted to go and see it myself because Bozeman has been in the news, and I mean, a bunch of others have too. Cities like Sarasota, Florida; Fort Myers, Florida; Myrtle Beach, uh, you know, Jackson, Wyoming. Uh, but 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 Bozeman is this big, uh, you know. It's it's kind of this small city in Montana. It's got it does have a brand new airport, so it can you know physically support all the uh, influx of flights. But take a look at this stat that I pulled from 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 some OAG schedules, where in July of this year. Bozeman is scheduled to have over 200,000 seats. And that marks a nearly 90% increase in the number of seats uh, going into Bozeman uh, compared to 2019. So those are the pre-pandemic highs of 2019 compared to 2021. And, and you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We have Southwest going into Bozeman. We have some of the lower cost carriers. We even have that new airline that we were, you know, briefly touching on, Avello, going into Bozeman. You know, sure, the airport itself can support it. But what about when you go to like Yellowstone National Park? Do you think that, you know, you want 200,000 seats worth of uh, flyers packing into uh, Old Faithful? I, I certainly not. I, I don't. But 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 I don't know what other people think.
0: Exactly. And of course, when we talk about capacity, and I still don't think they're going to fill all those seats, that means on certain routes, like the Transcon between LA and New York, or San Francisco, New York, or LA and Boston, those fares are going to go up. Bozeman fares? I don't think so.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you have what, you know, six airlines, seven airlines now going head to head on routes in between markets. So, you know, a lot of airlines are like, hey, you know, we'll fly from Burbank in, in in the Los Angeles area instead of flying from, you know, LAX, the, you know, the major airport there. And a lot of them think, hey, you know, it's the convenience of going through Burbank. And, you know, here in New York, airlines will say, you know, we'll fly JFK and we'll fly Newark. And, you know, it, it it's across the metro areas of, of, of across the country. Airlines are saying, you know, well, let's, Let's blanket Bozeman with service from all the secondary airports, even within you know the other metropolitan areas. And, you know, at the end of the day, people, people, uh, there aren't that many people who are looking who are looking for 200,000 daily seats uh, or, or monthly seats over into Bozeman. And, and not just that, they're going to be they're going to be booking on price. You know, airlines have made it much easier to earn elite status this year. The frequent flyer programs, they don't matter as much without business travel returning. Uh, so it's going to be a cutthroat war
0: my thanks to zach want to talk about pent-up demand in travel look no further than matthew upchurch of virtuoso for an update on traveler behavior and what people are now willing perhaps even demanding to do if you've been following the travel news and i think you have because you're also listening to this show you know that things are starting to move relatively fast and some might even say in an exponential way starting with the european union announcement at least that they're going to open up to fully vaccinated American travelers for the summer. Uh, we are awaiting a reciprocal announcement from the United States about European vaccinated passengers coming to the U.S., but that also means that other countries in the world that are not in the European Union, other countries like Argentina and South America, uh, uh, Thailand, uh, Japan, uh, countries that have a huge tourism component that don't want to be left out of a summer with no revenue, may be revising their rules very quickly. Also, the possibility that the Centers for Disease Control might lift the conditional sale order on U.S.-based cruise lines uh, that may allow them to sail before the end of this year from U.S. ports. Someone who is directly affected by that is my next guest. He's been on the show so many times before. He's the chairman and CEO of Virtuoso, Matthew Upchurch. How are you, sir?
3: Great to be here again in person.
0: My yeah. Gosh. And even greater about this news.
3: It was amazing. That was, I mean, you could literally hear everybody, right? Just when that was announced yesterday. What a, what a great piece of news and very pragmatic. I, I, you know, I actually you know, applaud that move. I think it's very, very pragmatic, very, very reasonable.
0: And, of course, all of your travel advisors, I'm sure their phones are now ringing off the wall in ways that they weren't. Well, actually, they were ringing off the wall of people trying to plan something. But now they're calling them saying, okay, forget the planning. Let's go.
3: You know, it's funny. Actually, there were, there were a lot of our advisors uh, who were getting calls from their clients saying, look, I don't know. Go ahead and book Italy. Go ahead and do that because who knows what's going to happen. And so some of the really experienced they were, yeah. ones, they were like, you know what? I know it's closed right now, but I'm going to take a chance. And so, and, and by the way, U.S. travel advisors right now, I mean, I, my heart goes out to our Canadian advisors and some other countries, but the U.S. advisors have literally been slammed. I mean, they are so busy right now. People, the, the pent-up demand is real, um, and, and this is some of the best news they could have
0: gotten. I've been telling my listeners for over two months now, it's okay to roll the dice mm-hmm. uh, because there are no longer any ticket change fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you fly on a U.S. carrier, I'm not being patriotic here. I'm being pragmatic. They will actually get you a refund and play by the DOT rules, whereas foreign carriers tended to ignore those DOT rules.
3: Yeah, and I think, and I think, and by the way, I, I, right now with these new rule changes, now is the time to do that. While those those policies, I mean, at some point, it may be that those policies start to tighten a bit.
0: Yeah, let's There's talk demand. about that. I remember last fall, United Airlines shocked the world by saying. We're going to permanently—I remember their word. It was mm-hmm. permanently cancel those draconian ticket change mm-hmm. fees, mm-hmm. right? Which in many cases mm-hmm. were more expensive than the cost of the original ticket itself. Mm-hmm. And their president, Scott Kirby, said, "No, I said permanent. Yeah. We don't. It's just not good."
3: Well, I think that's good, and I, and I was mostly talking about on the other side. You know, you know, hotel cancellation fees, our operators, things like that. Those have all improved, and I think it'd be wise to maintain that. Um, but you know, when you have a big onslaught of 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 demand, you also don't want to be the guy sitting there. Somebody, you know, canceling two days before, and you're sitting there with that, with that, you know, with with that empty inventory.
0: Although, if the passenger cancels, let's be clear, under the new rules that the airlines have all adopted, they all Mm -hmm. fell in line behind United. They're not going to. You're not going to lose your money. It's just going to be a credit applied to another flight. And if there's a difference in the change in the fee, you have to pay that. But but you know, we've been telling
3: people. You know, we've been telling people for a long time. One of the ways. One of the ways that. Savvy travelers have changed. Is it? Remember when? Remember when we were in elementary school and they gave us the science teacher gave us a jar and it was like rocks, pebbles, and sand, and it was a, a, a an exercise in volume.
0: See, now that was usually the jar they attached to my leg when I was wrong, <laughs> when I was bad. Yeah. So what happened was the whole
3: idea was that the only way it fits is if you put in the rocks and then the pebbles and then the sand, right? And a lot of it, a, lot, a lot of uh, clients have been doing that, where they kind of look at their big milestone trips, then they're kind of the mid ones, and then their their last minute stuff. And so they having a strategy. And, and pre-pandemic, we were having the strategy because there was so much, you know, there, there was so much tourism, and now there's limited inventory, at least for, for for a while. But I think that having a strategy, working with an advisor that can really listen, has those contacts, can get you in the places that say they're they're already, you know, uh, full or whatever, has the has that pull, is is very wise. Plus, they got your back.
0: Yeah, you know, that was the one lesson from the pandemic that I hope everybody learned. Um, and I'm and I'm not trying to dump on the OTAs. Uh, the online travel agencies, but you know what? I'm gonna take it back, I am gonna dump on them because when the you know what hit the fan, they became the witness in the mafia case. They, I know nothing, I don't do that, I'm not the, and that's not true. They were the enabler, they were the, it's called an online travel agent, and they were the ones who got you the ticket on that airline or that room at that hotel so that when things went really south, and, and flights got canceled and, and countries got closed. I couldn't get anybody on the phone. And neither could any of our listeners get on the phone. And nobody wanted to. And then if they got them on the phone, they weren't even willing to take responsibility to be your advocate. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem.
3: Well, and, and the contrast to that, I mean, I remember one story I'll never forget about. One of our travel advisors was literally in the hospital with her husband. You know, she, she had an IV in. <laughs> Her husband was had a phone up to her, you know, her daughter was there and she was literally helping repatriate clients, yeah. right? And helping them out. Um, but by the way, it's also the other reason I, I'll also be real straight about this. I've, I've been telling a lot of our advisors, you are going to be in demand. You're expected to do a lot more, but what you need to do, you know, is actually make sure that you're charging for your services.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It's about value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we are coming from an era of fee-based uh, travel and you know where you pay a fee for everything and then all of a sudden you know people hated that
3: mm-hmm.
0: now we're looking at another way of going and yet I still I not, not that I have nightmares mm-hmm. but that I wake up at night see there's the nightmare I wake up at night thinking they're going to come back with that ticket change fee gonna, there was an, an announcement this week that American Airlines is putting back bag sizers at at gates and then, if your bag doesn't fit, they're they're going to charge you to check it. Now, we've been down that road before, and is that going to hold up?
3: Well, I think as we as we go by, you know, um, that's all going to be determined by the market, and we'll see what happens. Um, but again, from from a you know from an advisor perspective, you know, to me, good advisors are worth their time, um, and I think that a lot of people i mean the referrals that a lot of our advisors are getting now from people that didn't you know thought they could do it all on their own um but again it's
0: well let's let's go back to one other thing and this goes to every travel agent out there not just virtuoso advisors when the pandemic hit the revenue stream just didn't drop for the travel agents and the advisors. It, it it disappeared, and in fact, they were spending almost all of their time mm-hmm. trying to get refunds back for their clients, which meant that when they did that, they also lost their commissions. So it was a negative, and well, they were
3: and, working for nothing. Well, you know what, Peter? I'm so glad you said that. I've dedicated my life to you know this this profession, serving these people, and they're amazing, and how hard they worked, right? Helping their clients. And you know, one of the things that I, <laughs> I joked about with somebody outside the industry. You know, travel dropped thirty percent in March of 2020, and then in April, I always tell people outside the industry. I said, "How much do you think it dropped in April?" And people go, "Oh, another thirty percent, another fifty percent." I said, "Try a hundred and thirty percent for us." Well, how can it drop more than 100%? It's called refunds. I had zero business and 30%, and I'm working just as hard to do that. So you got to give it to these people, people of integrity. And then the other piece of it is your travel advisor, with the exception of some partners, they don't get paid until after you travel. So they're, if you're booking something right now for 2022... It's all forward. It's all forward. So you know they, they're not like the partner that gets the deposit, right? They don't, they don't keep that. That's why... Good advisors, we're telling them, you know, it's good to charge reasonable fees for professional services.
0: Otherwise, you're deficit financing. Exactly. Well, bottom line is, there's no doubt about the fact that we have this collision course between the number of people getting vaccinated and, mm-hmm. the, number, and the number of people who want to travel. Mm-hmm. Right? We have governments that either have really forward-looking policies, or they have really bad policies, or they have no policies at all. They can't survive a summer without the revenue net. So what do you think is going to happen in the wake of the European Union decision to open up 27 countries to Americans who've been vaccinated?
3: Well, I mean, I think this is where, but it's also, what's what's fair about this is that it's also, it's grounded in the science. There's been now, what, five at least, uh, uh, five studies that have actually shown that it not only keeps you from getting it, but it, 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 it really reduces, almost minimizes the uh, uh, perspective of spreading it, right? So... To me, it's pragmatic um, and still a lot of people don't understand it. it's the largest industry in the world and, and and the world needs that. And we need it also from the perspective of local economies, conservation of places all over the world that depend on this. I mean, you know, some of the things that are going in Africa and some other places without tourism, we have a sustainability problem, we have a conservation problem, we have a poverty problem. And we have
0: a vaccination distribution problem. Now, let's go back to November and December of last year, when the CDC was strongly recommending against all travel, millions of Americans still traveled. The interesting thing was, where did they go? And why did they go? And it's a really interesting discussion, because it didn't matter where they went. And they weren't going to see Granny. They were trying to go anywhere they could. Just get me out of here. Mm -hmm. Now we're a little bit more focused, now that they know they have choices. So now that they have choices, now that Europe is opening up, and other parts of the world are going to follow suit in some form, mm-hmm. where are your clients telling you they want to go?
3: Well, I, actually, you just said it. I mean, it, it pretty much, it. I think it was said really well today. Is that travel right now is primarily being driven by policy, right? Uh, where can I go? And then what happens is as they're, as they're taking those relaxed policies, maybe I may you know maybe I did book that 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 domestic place, but now that oh my God, I can go to Italy. <laughs> Are you kidding? there you go the cancel you know the domestic cancellations but there's enough pent-up demand so I think that you're gonna see kind of a wave right as places open up you're gonna see see that wave but um, and I'm also very very hopeful of what's happening on the cruise on the cruise side I think you know I I personally believe that the cruise industry got a really bad rap um, you know there were I don't think the cruise lines in the early days any did any worse job that quite frankly a lot of governments did when nobody had a lot of data nobody knew what was going on everybody was trying to figure out what to do so I don't believe that they did any worse job than, than that but at the same time one of the reasons I think the cruise lines get a bad rap is because they're the only form of travel that perfectly measures sickness like there's no other form because of because of the, the way they've they've handled their their uh reporting to the cdc and all that well over this goes years. back
0: to the days of the dreaded norovirus. norovirus right yeah
3: but look what they've done i mean i actually think that cruising is going to end up being one of the quote-unquote safest you know forms of of, of of travel out there but again you you made a good point i mean for example i never thought i'd see in my lifetime last minute safaris you know i mean that's been going on people since,
0: plan those years in advance
3: well first of all up until this pandemic, you had to plan a year in advance because everything was sold out. Um, then the pandemic came and then literally people were like, oh, let's go to Africa in three weeks. Um, it was available and you could fly through places like Dubai and Qatar and places like that. So, but again, I think there's gonna be this, I do think that this move by the EU is gonna be big. Um, obviously number one market, right? Um, Mexico's done a good job in places like here and Quintana Roo. So I'm excited
0: about the prospects. Is it gonna change travel patterns? <sighs> I don't, you know. I mean, we I, can talk I, about we can talk about the speed at which people make a decision, yep. or the speed at which they go. Mm-hmm. But is it going to change their travel patterns of either where they're going or what they're expecting when they get there?
3: Well, I, I think health security. You know, after nine eleven, we had quote unquote security, and I think health security. I, I said that months ago. I said I think the general perspective of health security is going to be permanent, right? What, what's going on? And I think there's going to be. And, you know, as we've talked about here at the WTT summit, there's, there actually, you know, one of the things that has happened in this pandemic is you and I have been coming to this organization for a long, long time. It's the most collaboration I've ever seen between the private sector and the governments and, and all the different things. So I think there's going to be a lot of good coming out of that. That's going to make this whole idea of seamless travel and, 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 and health security. Um, I think on a, on a trend basis, I think you're gonna, you're gonna have a polarization between short-term and long-term planning. I mean, like I said, you know, as, as we were saying, we had, you know, we have 2023, 2024 cruises and safaris that are selling out now. Um, so I think that people need to be wise. And that's why I've always said, have a strategy for optimizing your travel. Don't just, you know, you know don't just kind of wing it.
0: And the bottom line is if you're selling out 23 and 24 cruises now, How much money has been on the sidelines for the last year? Well, I mean, first of
3: all, right, we we, we have an era where people didn't travel. We were in the golden era of travel. All of the the reasons that we were in the golden era of travel have not changed, right? It was the fact that the baby boomers, the first generation, when the last baby boomer turned 60, 80% of them, are expected to live to the age of 80. That's never happened in the history of the planet. And 80% of those in relatively good health. Then you got the millennials and the Gen Z's that are prioritizing the experiences, everything in between. Right. So that, that has, and then you
0: take something But they're gonna away. die at a much younger age because of TikTok. Uh, okay, sorry, go ahead.
3: But, but you know what? But you take something away. I, there, was, there was a woman that I, I met, one of the few trips, I, I, pleasure trips I took last year, and one woman said, you know what? You guys better watch out because there's only so much wine I can drink and so much furniture I can buy.
0: <laughs> that sounds like the old me, but I can't go there. <laughs> but, but bottom line is, yeah. is people are going to go back and repeat patterns, yeah. right?
3: And they're going to probably spend more money. And you know, the other trend, it, you just made me rem- remember something. So one of the trends that happened after 9-11 was uh, multi-gen family travel.
0: One of the patterns that grew during COVID, I call was, that last supper travel, because they figured if we don't go now, we're never going to go. Let's get everybody, pack them in the back of the car, and go. But then once they did
3: that, it like it became this thing because of the digital world, because of the fast pace. I mean, it became the places, you know, you know, grandmothers were saying, "I'll pay for everybody to go." Then we during the, during COVID we had multi-family travel where they created their own bubbles. Um, but I actually think that what's going to happen now is we are seeing a huge uptick. In group travel, because I think that as people have been forced to be separate, they
0: want to, the they idea want to of
3: going and having an experience and whatever is even—it's even more important
0: than well. It. The bottom line here is at the at the end of the day, if you define travel the way I do, it's a, it's an experience meant to be shared. Absolutely, and that's what we're seeing now. People are coming together because they've been in their silos that long. My thanks to Matthew. The Boeing 737 Max, perhaps a classic textbook case that reveals a flawed and conflicted relationship between a government regulatory agency and the very people and companies it's supposed to regulate. David Shepherdson from Reuters on the latest developments. You know, In the wake of all the countries now starting to open up their borders and allowing vaccinated Americans to show up uh, without necessarily having to quarantine, other stories are out there, but you may have missed them. Uh, or my next guest didn't miss them. David Shepherdson from Reuters, welcome back to the show.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So let's talk about the 737 MAX. It is back in the news, not because of its flight management system this time, but because of problems with its electrical system, and the FAA is taking a very harsh look at it.
4: That's right. So about a month ago, I guess it was April 9th, the news broke that uh, Boeing had asked, carriers to halt operations on about a quarter of the MAX airplanes that have been delivered to date, over concerns about uh, a a change in manufacturing process that raised questions about the electrical grounding initially of just one system. As the the FAA and Boeing kept looking, it expanded the concerns to three systems, and it appears to be a relatively simple fix. Uh, just to ensure that these, these systems are adequately grounded. What has come to light now um, is that the FAA wants to be assured that there are no other uh, subsystems that use the same grounding equipment that could be impacted. And, and I think, you know, beyond a technical issue, look, it's the, it's the beginning of the summer travel season. Or getting close to that. You have a lot of planes that are parked on the ground not a huge issue now for United, Southwest, and American, but obviously if this continues you know, deep into May and then into June, it could have an impact on the schedules of the carriers, and it does show, again, the level of scrutiny that this plane has. It far exceeds what other airplanes are getting now, and that's just obviously after those two fatal crashes and the 20-month Unprecedented grounding of the airplane. You know, I think nobody, want, you know, certainly the, the regulators don't want to take any chances with this airplane. You know, if, if you remember back to when the FAA last November uh, ungrounded the plane, you know they made they made very clear in that their estimation that this plane has ever been in the sky, in part because of just how rigorous the scrutiny was. And, I, and I, in this incident or this issue it does raise questions about. The planes that have been grounded were built dating back to 2019, it does raise questions about, you know, how come this, this issue hadn't been caught earlier. I mean, again, a very a minor issue that maybe in the past would not have resulted in the planes being grounded, but in this environment, you know, nobody's taking any chances.
0: And one more thing. Let's go back to the Boeing settlement of their criminal charges. Uh, they did it on a conditional basis with the U.S. Justice Department that if they ever played that kind of game again of not disclosing a problem or not alerting people, mm-hmm. they would they would face criminal charges, not just pay a fine. So yeah. in this situation, right. it was it, it was this in this situation it was Boeing that actually you know basically jumped yeah. the gun and alerted everybody else at the at the beginning. But of course, it does bring up the same problem I've been talking about for a, a number of years, and that is the relationship between the FAA and the manufacturers and the operators of the planes and not losing sight of what the FAA is supposed to do. Um, It's interesting for me that uh, the FAA did rule uh, from moving forward that uh, Boeing is no longer allowed to certify their own planes as safe, which seems like a a no-brainer, but they finally did it. Yeah,
4: I think it's certainly true that they, you know, know, look, the FAA got embarrassed by the two. And, and you know, as recently as a couple weeks ago, the Office of Inspector General said it's going to do another audit. This time, looking at all of the FAA's actions between the Lion Air crash uh, and and then the Ethiopian uh, crash you know, five months later that led to the the plane's grounding. And Congress, this hasn't got a lot of attention, but as part of a huge spending bill uh, that in December, Congress attached detailed set of reforms that the FAA is going to have to make for how it delegates a lot of its certification powers to the FAA, or to Boeing. I mean, don't lot of people know this, but the FAA routinely delegates a, its authority to Boeing to basically do its own work, ensuring that the plane is properly certified. And this, you know, this although, legislation requires... Yeah, go ahead, go although, ahead.
0: David, although David, I have to tell you, if I built a chair and I told you I certified it was safe, whatever you do, don't sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know the situation in India it's it's a, a terrible crisis. It's a human tragedy. We've seen it, but never at this stakes before uh, in, in terms of the number of cases on any one particular day. We've seen what's happened in Brazil, South Africa, Thailand shutting down again, you know some countries just in lockdown, and of course now India. The question then becomes with the. US saying you you know no one can come in from India. Uh, they they cut off U.S. citizens like five days ago from returning. What's the situation now, David? So I, I think the
4: big and you're right. India is, is really a terrible human tragedy and you know, one of the real hotspots right now. Look, if you remember back to last year, the, this whole process of banning you know most people, not you know not U.S. citizens, non-U.S. citizens from coming here, coming coming here from countries started with with China when. Uh, then President Trump, on January 31st, uh, barred anybody, basically except U.S. citizens who were, who were in China within the last 14 days, from coming here. And then, as you mentioned, this has been added. They added the EU, the United, or most of the EU, the United Kingdom, um, uh, Brazil, South Africa, Iran. But but it's a And then finally, India last. You know, a week ago. But look, it's a hodgepodge of, of rules that everybody agrees. This, the system, which was not sort of done on a on a broader, you know, how do we how do we set these you know these restrictions they don't don't apply uniformly, right? You can't go to India, but you can go to Pakistan. You can't go. I mean, you, you can't come back here from there. You can't you, can, you, you can't be in you know Brazil, but you can be in Argentina or Chile or Peru. You know, countries that have very similar high caseloads. And so the system has sprung up. And, and now it's been, in many cases, over a year that, that most people have not been allowed to come here who have been in these certain countries. And the administration is really grappling with how do we how do we unwind this system? Do we scrap the whole thing and set new rules? Do we establish sort of a, a, a yardstick? This is when we take certain countries off because this really has harmed, you know, economies and people want to come here I mean, people have been separated, you know, fiancés, I hear all the time or people who, you know, their, you know, their loved ones are here, and they can't come here because of these restrictions. So, but again, the problem for the, the Biden administration is what do you do about the, you know, these other variants and, and the threats of, of, of more cases? So, I, I think over the next few months, probably by, you know, June or July 4th, you will is going to get unwound. And remember, it's not just that. It's also the U.S.-Canada border, right? I mean, you can't cross into Canada uh, across a land border, you know, if you're a non-essential traveler. And that's really hurting, you know, northern state and, and, and Canadian border communities that, you know, for you know decades, you know, used to cross from the border to do shopping or go to a restaurant. And so I do think, you know, there's going to be some movement, but it's been very slow. And I think nobody wants to take chances uh, until there's a higher level of confidence that the caseloads are
0: improving. Well, I have another opinion on that, which I hope you might agree with. And that is sure. our our government's policy, even pre-pandemic, was when it comes to travel to foreign countries or foreign countries travel to the U.S. is when in doubt, paint with the broadest brush. And you know, look at the State Department advisories, which now cover mm-hmm. level four, do not travel to mm-hmm. 80% of the world. You can't yeah. tell. I'm sorry. They can't justify that. They literally cannot. Well, you know, I, no, I, I kind of
4: compare it to imagine if today someone told you that they were going to build this machine that, you know, you put highly flammable fuel into that could basically, you know, catch fire explode. Uh, people say you can never, you can't drive a car. It's too risky. Like, well, how would we ever allow that on the road? Similarly, if we didn't have international travel today, imagine if people said, hey, let's start this system where anybody can, you know, get in a machine, go to another country in five to 10 hours. And suddenly, be subjected to all these different diseases, or you know, or you know, outbreaks, whatever. And I and I think in our zero tolerance for risk society, you'd almost say, oh, we, we can't possibly do that. Or you wouldn't have international travel without mandatory quarantines or extensive, you know, some sort of you know very harsh um, restrictions. And I, and I think you know, Secretary Buttigieg said early on this process. I you know, back in January, he said it's always easier to take restrict to put restrictions on. That is to take them off and i think people are just i agree with you i mean i think people are not really looking at, at the at a at the at the risk but they're you know but they're you know they're sort of operating out of worst-case scenarios
0: my thanks to david to matthew upchurch and to zach graff and my thanks to you for listening to this ion travel podcast for more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, just be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and don't say I didn't warn you, it's going to get even more crazy, just log on to petergreenberg.com.
1: Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com
0: peter, and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time?